Book One, Chapter Eight of Bradford's History of the Plymouth Settlement, sixteen o eight to sixteen fifty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bradford's History of the Plymouth Settlement, sixteen o eight to sixteen fifty, by William Bradford, rendered into modern English by Harold Paget. Book One, Chapter Eight. Having thus put to sea, they had not gone far when Mr. Reynolds, the captain of the smaller ship, complained that he found her so leaky that he dare not go further till she was mended. So the captain of the bigger ship, Mr. Jones, being consulted with, they both resolved to put into Dartmouth and have her mended, which accordingly was done, at great expense and loss of time and a fair wind. She was here thoroughly searched from stem to stern, some leaks were found and mended, and it was then believed that she might proceed without danger. So with good hope they put to sea again, thinking they would go comfortably on, not looking for any more hindrances of this kind. But after they had gone one hundred leagues beyond land's end holding together all the while, the captain of the small ship again complained that she was so leaky that he must bear up or sink at sea, for they could scarcely keep her afloat by pumping. So they consulted again, and both ships resolved to bear up again and put into Plymouth, which accordingly was done. No special leak could be found, but it was judged to be the general weakness of the ship, and that she would not prove equal to the voyage upon which it was resolved to dismiss her and part of the company and proceed with the other ship which though it caused great discouragement was put into execution so after they had taken out such provisions as the other ship could well stow and decided what persons to send back they made another sad parting the one ship going back to london and the other proceeding on her voyage those that went back were mostly such as were willing to do so, either from discontent or fear of the ill success of the voyage, seeing they had met with so many crosses and the year was so far spent. Others, owing to their weakness and having many young children, were thought least useful and most unfit to bear the brunt of this arduous adventure, to which work of God and the judgment of their brethren they were contented to submit and thus like gideon's army this small number was divided as if the lord thought these few too many for the great work he had to do it was afterwards found that the leakiness of the ship was partly caused by being overmasted and too much pressed with sail for after she was sold and put into trim she made many voyages to the profit of her owners but it was partly due to the cunning and deceit of the captain and his crew who had been hired to stay a whole year at the settlement and now fearing want of victuals they plotted this stratagem to free themselves as was afterwards confessed by some of them yet in order to encourage the captain the majority of those who had come from leyden had been put aboard this ship to content him but so strong was self-love that he forgot all duty and former kindnesses and dealt thus falsely with them though he pretended otherwise amongst those who returned was mr cushman and his family whose heart and courage had failed them before he was assistant to mr martin who was governor in the bigger ship i insert here a passionate letter he wrote to a friend in london from dartmouth whilst the ship lay there mending which besides the expression of his own fears shows how the providence of god was working for their good beyond man's expectations and other things concerning their condition in these straits and though it discloses some infirmities in him as who under temptation is free he afterwards continued to be a special instrument for their good and performed the offices of a loving friend and faithful brother to them and was a partaker of much comfort with them 
Robert Cushman at Dartmouth to Edward Southworth, at Hennage House, Duke's Place, London. Loving friend, my most kind remembrances to you and your wife, with loving E. M., etc., whom in this world I never look to see again. For beside the imminent dangers of this voyage, which are no less than deadly, an infirmity has seized me which will not in all likelihood leave me till death. What to call it I know not, but it is, as it were, a bundle of lead crushing my heart more and more these fourteen days, so that though I perform the actions of a living man I am but as dead, but the will of God be done. Our pinnace will not cease leaking, else I think we had been halfway to Virginia. Our voyage hither has been as full of crosses as ourselves have been of crookedness. We put in here to trim her, and I think if we had stayed at sea but three or four hours more she would have sunk, and though she was twice trimmed at Southampton she is still as open and leaky as a sieve. We lay at Southampton seven days, in fair weather, waiting for her, and now we lie here waiting for her in as fair a wind as can blow, and so have done these four days, and are likely to lie four more, and by that time the wind may have turned as it did at Southampton. Our victuals will be half eaten up, I think, before we leave the coast of England, and if our voyage last long we shall not have a month's victuals when we arrive. Nearly seven hundred pounds has been spent in Southampton, upon what I know not. Mr. Martin says he neither can nor will give any account of it, and if he is called upon for accounts he cries out that we are ungrateful for his pains and care, and that we are suspicious of him also he insults our poor people and treats them with scorn and contempt as if they were not good enough to wipe his shoes it would break your heart to hear the mourning of our poor people they complain to me and alas i can do nothing for them if i speak to him he flies in my face as mutinous and says no complaints shall be heard or received but by himself and they are forward waspish and discontented people there are others who would gladly lose all they have put in, or make satisfaction for what they have had, if they might only depart, but he will not listen to them or allow them to go ashore lest they should run away. The sailors, too, are so annoyed at his ignorant boldness in meddling with things he knows nothing of, that some threaten to do him mischief. He makes himself a laughing-stock. As for Mr. Weston, unless grace is with him he will hate us ten times more than ever he loved us, for not confirming the conditions now that they have met some reverses they begin to see the truth and say mr robinson was at fault to tell them never to consent to those conditions or put me in office but he and they will rue it too late four or five of the chief of them from leyden came resolved never to go on those conditions mr martin said he never received any money on those conditions and that he was not beholden to the merchants for a pin that they were bloodsuckers and i know not what simple man he indeed never made any conditions with the merchants nor ever spoke with them but did all that money fly to southampton or was it his own who would go and lay out money so rashly and lavishly as he did and never know how he comes by it or on what conditions secondly i told him of the alterations long ago and he was content but now he domineers and says i betrayed them into the hands of slave-drivers he is not beholden to them he can fit out two ships himself for a voyage when he has only fifty pounds worth of shares in the venture and if he gave in his accounts he would not have a penny left as i am persuaded friend if ever we establish a colony god works a miracle especially considering how scanty our provisions will be and most of all how disunited we are among ourselves and devoid of good leaders 
violence will break all where is the meek and humble spirit of moses and of nehemiah who re-edified the walls of jerusalem and the state of israel is not the sound of rehoboam's bragging daily among us here have not the philosophers and all wise men observed that even in settled commonwealths violent governors bring either themselves or people both to ruin how much more in the building of commonwealths when the mortar is scarcely hardened which is to bind the walls if i were to write you everything that foreruns our ruin i should overcharge my weak head and grieve your tender heart only this prepare for evil tidings of us every day but pray for us instantly it may be the lord may yet be entreated i see not how in reason we can escape the gasping of hunger-starved persons but god can do much and his will be done it is better for me to die now than to bear it poor william king and i strive who shall first be meat for the fishes but we look for a glorious resurrection knowing christ jesus after the flesh no more but looking unto the joy that is before us we will endure all these things and account them light in comparison of the joy we hope for remember me in all love to our friends as if i named them whose prayers i desire earnestly and wish again to see but not till i can look them in the face with more comfort the lord give us that true comfort which none can take from us i desired to send a brief account of our condition to some friend i doubt not but you will know when to speak a word in season what i have written is true and much more which i have forborne to mention i write it as upon my life and my last confession in england what you deem well to mention at once you may speak of and what is best to conceal conceal excuse my weak manner for my head is weak and my body is feeble the lord make me strong in him and keep both you and yours your loving friend robert cushman dartmouth august seventeenth sixteen twenty these being his fears at dartmouth they must needs be much stronger when he arrived at plymouth end of book one chapter eight